Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining us to analyze the latest market actions is Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. Happy Hum Day, Dan. What's going on? Happy Hum Day. I, uh, I think it's uh, it's it's like Happy Thursday kind of thing. Cause uh, it's not Thursday. It's almost there. We're almost there because this week is a short work week, but almost there. Yep, it's short work week. I'm certain that a lot of us are looking forward to it. Well, anyways, one factor that has weighed on markets in recent weeks is the fight over the debt ceiling. And, you know, President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, they have announced a deal over the weekend to cap the federal baseline spending for two years and raise the debt ceiling. But the agreement has not yet been ratified. And in fact, the Fiscal Responsibility Act appeared poised to pass a key committee hurdle yesterday. And, you know, the uh, according to a tentative House voting schedule, a full House floor vote is expected to happen tomorrow. So we'll bring you more updates as this story develops further. But today, we turn our attention to Elon Musk and he's making headlines for his visit to China. Just yesterday, the Tesla CEO kicked off a high-stakes visit to the Chinese nation with a meeting with the country's foreign minister in Beijing. And it actually marks this, the first return to the, you know, the, the car maker's largest production hub after three years, following the likes of Apple's Tim Cook and Mercedes-Benz Ola Kalanias and other car and technology company bosses and emphasizing the importance of maintaining ties with China. Ryan, talk to us about the significance of this meeting and what went down during the visit. Yeah, as you can imagine, China is a huge market for any business and Elon Musk is not excluded. So he is trying to double down with Tesla's business to expand there and he needs to play nice and he's been going around. And of course, part of the trip is to see how he can smoothen the rails when it comes to operating in China. Mm. So he is already talking about potential expansion there and he's saying things like how it's very difficult to decouple from China and he is willing to expand and keep expanding in the country. So there is a lot of positive language from him coming forth from this visit at least. So it's a sign of actually him joining other big um, tech leaders as well, painting China as a very important partner. And of course, they all have a an agenda to do so. Mm. So not a surprise coming from Elon Musk. But of course, uh, it is not just a business issue, but also a political issue. Yeah, certainly. And in fact, you know, it shows that uh, investors are quite happy with the, his visit as well, with stocks rising about 4% overnight to $201.16. Now, Ryan, you know, um, to what extent do you think, you know, this might actually complicate the efforts by leaders, including US President Joe Biden and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, to gain a geopolitical upper hand over the Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping by exerting greater influence over the trade of key components like electric car batteries and semiconductors? Yeah, we've seen that play out in the tech trade dispute. You no, know, banning Micron, for example, is the latest by China's move to put pressure on the US and vice versa. The US has been saying, hey, we don't want to export our technology in terms of AI and yeah. chips to China. So it's been going back and forth on that front. And in the middle are all these businesses. And if you have businesses 
U.S. businesses closing up to China, it can complicate the messaging here, right? If you are saying, hey, we don't want to work so closely with China, then your U.S. businesses, which to a certain extent contribute to the U.S. economy and also create U.S. jobs, are going to get hurt. So you have that very difficult dance. Uh, and already you've been hearing not just from Tesla, um, we've also got many other businesses talking about supporting them. Of mm. course, the big ones include Apple CEO Tim Cook saying it's an illusion to decouple from China. Uh, we've got the likes of um, Mercedes-Benz. Uh, their boss also talking about how it's going to be very difficult to move away from China. So that, I guess, is the business reality. So if you have the politics coming in, it can just disrupt business if they want to push on that anti-China agenda. So they are in a bit of a tough spot. And of course, with the supply chain, a lot of stuff comes through China. You can't create something totally without China. Like some of the parts, the key components still go through China. So it's a balancing act between how much pressure you can put on both sides. Yeah, most certainly. In fact, just recently as well, China, it was revealed that China was the biggest market for Tesla's Model Y electric sport utility vehicles, you know, helping it become the world's top selling vehicle in the first quarter of the year. So it shows how, you know, how huge of an influence China is to Tesla. And, you know, China, Chinese Foreign Minister Ching Kang also said that there should be timely breaks to prevent the dangers in the relationship between the two countries to help with a stable and healthy, constructive relationship that would both benefit China and the United States as well as the rest of the world. Yeah, I so have to add in that there is a other um, key trend to watch out for, which is de-risking, which is a lot of businesses have the idea that they want to diversify yeah. away from China. So that's another trend to look out for. So diversifying away from China in the sense that they want to move some of their factories away from China. So if something happens for any reason like we've seen in the past few years COVID yeah. so factories there were hit big time so maybe factories in Southeast Asia other parts of the world mm. so that's a trend that is also important to watch out for to see how these um, US businesses at least try to navigate the business and political landscape. Right. Thank you so much for that. Thank, thank you for bringing that up, Brian. Now, meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, news just broke that Twitter is now worth just one third of what Elon Musk paid for the social media platform. And that's according to Fidelity, which recently marked down the value of its equity stake in the company. Ryan, tell us more. Yeah, I'm not sure whether they feel too bad about this for Elon Musk. Mm. So as we expected to some extent, Twitter, after being bought by Elon Musk, went through a bit of pressure. And of course, we've been seeing so many negative headlines. And the latest is Fidelity now valuing Twitter just one-third of the price that Elon Musk paid for. Yeah. And Fidelity is one of the um, stakeholders or shareholders behind Twitter. So they have been actually cutting their stake in the past few months starting in November, then in December, and then more recently as well mm. in February. So they have now uh, marked Twitter as one-third the worth of what Elon Musk paid for, which was around $44 billion, including $33.5 billion in equity. So less than half of what he paid for. But hey, this is a guy who is worth, wow, billions of dollars. Yeah. So it's not going to make him lose any sleep. And of course, 
it's going to be a long-term project for him. He's got stuff underway. So maybe it could still turn around. Yeah, I mean, the latest markdown, I'm just reading that it raises about $815 million from Musk's $187 billion fortune. Is that a pinch at all, right? Yeah, it's like saying <laughs> your phone is yeah. one-third the price. So it's just a few hundred for you, right? I suppose it's just a few hundred. Yeah, it doesn't... Perspective, uh, Ryan. Perspectives. But yes, yeah, so so um, this is certainly something that uh, we will watch out for very closely as well. I mean, we talk a lot about Musk's erratic decision-making and challenges with content moderation that has even led to advertising revenue to decline by 50%. So we'll see whether there's hope for Twitter in the future. But anyways, this also follow ne- follows news that Musk is withdrawing Twitter from the European Union's Code of Practice on Online Disinformation. Ryan, why exactly is Elon Musk looking on picking a fight with the EU over speech moderation? Uh, Elon Musk loves to pick fights. I guess that's the short <laughs> end of the answer. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it is something I guess he's trying to steer Twitter away from, which is um, having to commit or comply with all these regulations when it comes to having to moderate things. Yeah. And what's happening here in the middles of in the middle of it is what is an obligation if they kept to the voluntary EU code on this information back in 2018, they had to comply with a couple of things, including having to moderate stuff. Uh, but the catch here is that actually is now a legal obligation because recently it was passed in EU law that companies um, have to be on board and have a legal obligation to fight disinformation. So they actually have the same obligations despite Mm. leaving their so-called voluntary conduct. So this is under the so-called very large online platform regulation under the EU's Digital Services Act. So they still have work to do even though they pulled out of that so-called voluntary act. Um, But going back to that underlying reason, uh, Twitter, after being bought by Elon Musk, had to let go and cut down on many costs, right? Among them, moderation teams and what else might be needed to moderate everything in the content space. So that perhaps is one of the considerations. If he doesn't have the resources, then it's very hard to commit or comply with some of these expectations. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a very expensive fight for Musk to pick, though. I mean, breaches of the DSA, and that's the Digital Services Act, can attract penalties of up to 6% of global annual turnover. And in fact, the commission has also warned that serious repeated non-compliance could lead it to block access to a service. And that dangles the prospect of Twitter losing access to a region of some 440 million consumers. Not so good news for them right here, but we'll watch it very closely as the story develops over the next few weeks. Now, Ryan, let's take it back to our sunny island and investors can now start trading via beneficial interest and participate in the Thai economy. And that's after three of Thailand's blue chip names began trading on the Mm. Singapore exchange as Singapore Depository Receipts yesterday. And the three blue chip companies are namely convenience store chain operator CP All, airport operator Airports of Thailand, Energy Play PTT Exploration and Production. Mm. Ryan, what's the significance of this milestone and what does it mean for investors here? Yeah, so for investors here, it's a chance to take part in tapping the opportunities in Thailand. And you mentioned a few big names. If you've been to 
Thailand, mm. Bangkok in particular, you probably have come across some of these things like CP all the convenience store chain. Yeah. If you use airports, then the airports of Thailand could be something um, interesting to look at. And mm-hmm. the energy play there, PT exploration and production. So if you look at the trading action yesterday, which was day one, yep. it was actually attracting quite a bit of interest. So mm. if you look at the AOT or airport operator, airports of Thailand, it began trading at 278 and this is 1.5% higher than the SET or Stock Exchange of Thailand opening price of 274. Wow. So it did trim some of those gains at the close, mm. eventually closing higher by 0.4%. Okay, taking a look at CP All, it opened 0.8% higher than what it was on the Stock Exchange of Thailand before closing slightly lower at 247, which was the same as the SET. Mm. And energy play, PTT exploration and production. That was up 1.1% at open. And then it closed 0.4% higher than the Stock Exchange of Thailand closing price. So yeah. all in, SDRs will give you an opportunity to trade some of these big blue chip names in Thailand. And to some extent, if you... Um, are um, inclined um, benefit from the arbitrage as well so a potential play for you in Thailand so maybe down the road there will be more names for you to look at and of course Thailand a very exciting place these days yes very very exciting and the CP I think they have got quite a, quite a number of CP products right there that's uh, packaging in uh, the the grocery stores and it's quite delicious in fact so yes it's a good chance for us to tap into Thailand's market now Ryan how are these companies selected and can we expect the list to grow yeah, I'm sure this list is going to grow as we see the Thai economy get more interest. And there are many reasons to look at Thailand for uh, further potential. And it's a big manufacturing hub, for example, for automotives. So it has a play in the EV space as well. And also agriculture. And it's a wide range of various industries that will be uh, down the road potential attractive place for Singapore investors to look at. And um, I guess the other part of the narrative here is what's playing out in the elections, right? Yeah. So with the new government, you could possibly look at new infrastructure um, commitments as well. Mm. And also new stimulus or anything that could help lift various parts of the industries. So there is a lot of um, action in Thailand to look forward to. Yeah, and you know, it being the first exchange level DR cooperation in ASEAN, it you know, it demonstrates an important step forward in enhancing regional connectivity and you know, collaboration between mm. and leveraging the strengths of two well-established exchanges to promote more joint investment as well as business opportunities for both exchanges and market participants. Certainly some good times here. Now we're going to play a game of up or down and if you're a regular on the show, you'll be familiar with this. I'll pick a stock or a topic and you'll get Guess whether it's going to be an up or a down. Ryan, are you ready? Let's go. The first on the list, we've got NVIDIA. All right, NVIDIA is an up for me. They have joined the club, the $1 trillion club. And wow. this is the market cap of NVIDIA. Some people are saying, hey, it's, um, good, it's a good run, but maybe a bit too expensive. And it joins the likes of Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. Wow. So these are... If you've been noticing tech names and all things AI these days are just getting quite a bit of traction. So 
who knows when this train ride will end, but it is still going up. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I don't see a, I don't see a reason for it to stop now. I mean, if you've seen for the from the recent days, it's been on a pretty bullish run. In fact, uh, we talked about Nvidia yesterday as well as uh, Jensen Huang's recent, you know, his uh, meeting over in Taiwan and then revealing a set of new AI products as well. So Nvidia is going to be an up for me. I'm going to go on to the next on the list. We've got Goldman Sachs. All right, Goldman Sachs is down for me. Mm. So reports are saying they are planning another round of job cuts. Right. And this against the backdrop of muted deal making. So not enough M&A and IPOs going on for it to make money. So not needing so many people. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. The move comes a few months after the bank embarked on one of the biggest rounds of job cuts ever when it moved to eliminate about 3,200 positions in January. And, you know, on its third round of job cuts in under a year, not so good news for Goldman Sachs. I'm going to go with a down for them. Let's move on to the next one. We've got HP. All right, HP or Hewlett Packard as some might know it as. Mm -hmm. So this is a consumer side of the business. And that is not good because sales are dropping worse than expected as we see the PC market continuing to go through that slump. Mm. People are just not buying as many devices as before. So revenue is down 22%. And if you look at the personal system segment, that's down 29%. So we've got a lot of macro, macro headwinds that HP has to face. Yeah, the PC market is showing weaker demand, excess inventory, as well as a work worsening macroeconomic climate. So HP, it's going to be a down for me. Let's go on to electronics retailer Challenger Technologies. Yeah, I'm not sure whether to go with up or down for this. Mm. Um, I guess I would go with up. Right. So <laughs> the story here is you've got a cash offer for... 56 cents a share. Mm. So this is to privatize the company and it's coming from the majority um, shareholders. So this is the offer Digitech Holding. So this is a consortium formed by the majority shareholders who hold collectively 54.4% of the company's shares. The consortium made up of Asia Consumer Electronics. This is the special purpose vehicle linked to Diamond Asia Private Equity and Fortuna Capital, another special purpose vehicle owned by Challenger CEO Lu Leong Tai. So they want to take it private and the reason they are putting forth is they need the flexibility to run the business mm. possibly without the pressures of being listed and also it gives shareholders a chance to exit at a premium because of the low liquidity of its shares. Yeah. So we talk about a premium. So 56 cents a share, that is a premium of 3.1% over the volume-weighted average price in the past one month. And based on a three-month basis, that's 4.5% premium. Six-month basis, 6.7% premium. Mm. And this, I have to say, is the same price, 56 cents a share. Right. That was shot down four years ago. Yeah. So 2019, they also had a privatization offer and it was voted down by minority shareholders who believe that the exit offer price was too low. So mm. I'm not sure if 56 cents is going to be enough. And if you look at the latest closing prices at 55 cents. Yeah, it does seem like a discount, but I suppose it's uh, in, in a matter of perspective, the privatization offer offers you know, uh, shareholders with a clean cash exit opportunity and 
to their end, realise their investment at a premium, something that might otherwise, quote-unquote, might not be available given the low trading liquidity of the shares. So, Challenger, I suppose I'm going to go with an up for this one. Last on the list, we've got BYD. All right, BYD is going to be an up for me because Mm. it is outbidding Tesla to supply EVs for an Indonesian taxi operator. And this is one of the biggest ones there, Bluebird. If you've been to Indonesia, you've probably seen these um, taxis around. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, uh, quite a surprising news for BYD. And I suppose it's also because the vehicles are a lot more affordable than Tesla. And uh, this led to this decision. I'm going to go with an up for BYD. Right. Thank you, as always, Ryan, for this session of Market View. This has been Market View. I'm Dan Koh. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.